Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Bald Guy podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, Chad Emerson. Welcome, everybody. This is Jeff Brown, better known around the country as the Bald Guy. Today, we're going to be talking to one of my lenders, and I've had three lenders in my life that if they caught on fire, I would put out. Chad Emerson is one of them. Welcome, Chad. Thanks, Jeff. I've been doing business with Chad now for, what, eight or nine years? At least. We don't even know how many millions of dollars of business we've done, but it's been a lot. And I will tell you that the next time he tells me a loan is going to go through in the early stages and it doesn't go through, we'll be the first. So that, that's the kind of lender you want. Before I go into the topics today, I also want to tell you that the biggest myth when people are borrowing money for small rental properties residentially, when I say small, that generally means one to four units. When you are vetting a lender, you only need to ask one question. Last 12 months, what's the percentage of owner-occupied home loans that they did, of all the loans they did? Most of them, if they're not going to make it up, they're going to tell you the truth. It was over nine out of 10. I'm going to guess, Chad, and say that last year, it was probably less than 5% of the loans that you closed were not investment loans. Correct. I was going to say it's been about 9 or 10 over the past two years were actually owner-occupants. And that's 9 or 10 loans, not 9 or 10%. Correct. Not that I can't do them. It's just not what I specialize in. You see, he just nailed it there. What I'm telling you people is that you want somebody that understands lending to investors, which is a completely different breed of cat altogether. The underwriters that Chad brings in to his office have to be somewhat retrained because what applies to home loans people are going to live in for primary residences often either don't apply or are completely different. Fair statement of fact, Chad? Absolutely. And Chad's the one that has to go through that nightmare of retraining, so not me. So that's why it's such an easy topic for me. Today, we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about the loan limit. How many loans can an investor have? And the second thing we're going to talk about is the difference between what Chad can do for you with investment loans on one to four units and what banks can do. So let's start out with the four and 10 and, and all that. Chad. Tell us what the loan limits are six months ago, and then tell us what they are now. Okay. Well, one thing has remained the same. It's the total number of finance loans that borrower can have at one time in their portfolio. The limit for Fannie Mae is 10 finance properties at one time, and that includes your primary residence, it includes your second home, and it includes all your investment properties, but only the ones that have financing and only the ones that are financed in your personal name. The thing that has changed most recently, this is this goes back probably about five or six years when Fannie Mae came out and they said, we're going to limit the number of finance properties that an investor can have at one time. There typically was no limit initially, and then they actually made the limit to be 10, that an investor cannot have more than 10 finance properties at one time. Uh, in such cases, they would have to obtain other financing, non-Fannie Mae, basically like portfolio type loans. But when they said the 10, there is, there is an asterisk there that basically the first four properties, first four finance properties would be your standard requirements for investors, which if you're looking at a single family residence, it'd be 20% down. 
If you're looking at a two, three, or four unit property, it's 25% down. It's a standard down payment requirement. For properties five through 10, once you get into that upper echelon of investing, they made the requirements a little bit more strict. They came out with a minimum credit score, which was 720. The second item that they came up with was you had to have six months assets for each property. So in other words, if your principal interest taxes and insurance was $1,000, you had to have six times that per property for reserves. And then the third one, which is probably the the biggest one, was the additional 5% down. So if you were looking at a single family residence, 25% down was now your minimum down payment requirement. If you were looking at a two, three, or four unit property, your minimum down payment requirement was now 30. Fannie has since changed that. So they've been slowly but surely loosening the reins just a little bit. That stricter requirement doesn't go into play until you're getting to finance properties eight, nine, and 10. So for the first seven, it's still just 20 and 25 as far as your down payment requirements. And then of course, keep in mind that the credit score, which most investors do have a 720 in the first place. And then there are the still going to be the reserves requirement as well. But again, that doesn't go into play until you hit number eight, nine, and 10. So you know that I have several clients who who own over the limit. I have several clients that already are up to the 10, counting their home. And the rest, if they're going to buy more real estate anywhere else, they're going to have to get what we call portfolio lenders. And all that means, people, is that instead of selling the loan to something like Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, they're generally going to keep that loan in their own portfolio. Sometimes they'll sell it, but it won't be to Fannie or Freddie. It'll be to somebody that agrees that, okay, this guy has 13 loans. We're good with that. He's a, he's a good borrower and the security is fine. Is there anything you want to add before we move on? Yeah, with the portfolio side, just keep in mind that once you do get to the, the need or necessity of having a portfolio loan, your terms are not going to be nearly as attractive as they were with the Fannie Freddie stuff. Um, usually it's going to be a higher interest rate. Usually it's going to be some points will probably be included or involved there. But some people are, are getting a little smarter. It's just, you know, how you work it. But there are people who are taking these loans, refinancing them down the road into like an LLC, getting it out of their personal name. And I don't mean just on the title side, I mean on the note side. So they're going through a total refinance there. But there are lenders that will do that. And that just opens up the book for more loans with uh, Fannie Freddie. Now, are portfolio loans counted for Fannie and Freddie? If you don't have any loans at all and you've got 15 portfolio loans, can you get a Fannie Freddie loan? Absolutely. So keep in mind, the only ones that are counted in the Fannie Freddie are loans that are on one, two, three, or four unit. Okay. So they have to be residential. And if they're in your personal name, those will be counted against the 10 rule. But Commercial loans, portfolio loans, commercial property, those are not included in the 10 rule. Those are separate. And I'm going to throw you a curveball here. I don't even know if you have the answer to this, but if they have some second position loans on any of their properties, does that count against the 10? Second position, meaning I might have bought a duplex five years ago and I went and got a, a second loan on that property behind the first secured by a deed on that property as security, is that going to count on my 10? It will count against your 10, but keep in mind, you can have five mortgages on one property. That still just counts as one property financed. 
I got it. Okay, so it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. But the bottom line is, it doesn't matter how many loans you have on one property. If that property is in debt, it counts as one overall loan. Correct. Okay. All right. I got you. Well, let's move on to the next topic. One of the things that people don't understand in general, especially new investors, is that they think their local bank is the way to go because they know good old Jim for a lot of years and they have all their accounts there and they might even own a small business in town and the guys helped them a lot with it. They don't understand the big differences that uh, come to bear when you're getting multiple loans. What if you're going to buy three duplexes? And we see this all the time, don't we, Chad? Sure do. So I've got a guy and he might be coming out of an exchange or he just has enough cash to put down payments on three duplexes, counting closing costs and everything is going to be 90 to 100,000 per duplex with 25% down. What's the difference between what you can do and what his local banker can do? Well, good question. I often get a lot of people that have already gone to a bank, but those are people that they just don't understand. They're typically new investors, but what they find out is they call me and they say, I think the name you used was Jimbo or whatever, but Jimbo says that my debt to income ratio is too high. I can't afford the investment property and all my other debts. And what he's running into is what we call, what us lenders call, it's an internal overlay. So there are standard rules that apply to any kind of Fannie Freddie loan. For example, Fannie Mae has certain guidelines that you have to adhere to as a lender and make sure that your client fits in those within those parameters. But then there's internal overlays. And what those are, are additional criteria or layering, if you will, of additional rules that the lender wants to add in addition to the Fannie Freddie stuff. And those are called overlays. And that's something that kills a lot of deals out there for people. And they don't realize that those aren't necessarily the rules. That's just what that certain or that particular bank has. So for example, I've had people come up to me and they said that getting back to the debt ratio, I'll ask them, I'll say, well, what, what is the debt that's hurting you? And he says, well, the investment property that I'm buying, um, you know, the, the monthly payment is $2,000, for example. And, you know, I don't make enough to afford that and my primary residence and all my other bills. Well, the misnomer here is the bank that it has the internal overlays doesn't understand investment property because they're putting an overlay and not accounting for the rental income that the buyer is going to be receiving from the purchase. Typically, I mean, I don't know of any investor out there that is going to buy a property that either A, won't rent or B, won't cash flow. Okay. Well, let me, let me interject something here. Yeah. The bottom line is, and this is just to underline the point you just made, which is this pivotal point of the whole thing, is that not only is this not going to be an outgo for this investor, it's going to be income Right. when the smoke clears. And the bank is treating it like he's buying a vacant box sitting on a property that's costing them almost $25,000 a year. And that's simply not the case. Right. So how do you guys look at it? Well, what we do is we're going to use that rental income. If it's already occupied by a tenant, we will just request a copy of that lease and we're going to use 75% of that rental income. If it's a new property, new construction, obviously you're not going to have a renter in there until the property is completed and purchased. But what we do is we actually will request the appraiser put the going rents for that area on the appraisal. So it's technically going to be future rents. We also use 75% of that number to offset the mortgage payment. 
And this is key, not just in Jim Bob's case, but with higher echelon investors or accredited investors that want to purchase maybe two, three, four, five duplexes, which we've we've seen, you know, firsthand, Jeff and I. And there's no way they would have qualified with uh, one of the big box banks or some mortgage lenders that have these these overlays if they weren't being given credit for the future rents of the property or the existing rents, whatever the case may be. So you really have to, you know, the reason why we do that is, I mean, these these properties are being purchased as income producing properties, period, point blank. So you should get credit for the income that you're going to be receiving on these properties. Well, and the difference is this, and we've both seen this over time. I've, I've seen it before I left San Diego in, in the spring of 2003, a thousand times, is that you have one lender who looks at income property the same way they look at primary residences, like you just said, and they say, well, this is going to cost you the one or $2,000 a month that is the principal interest taxes and insurance bill. And they, and you don't qualify for one loan. And yet using it the common sense way, which says you're buying this because people are going to be paying you rent. Hello, you actually will approve multiple purchases. Does that pretty much boil it down? To a T. Man, I think you've covered it. Is there anything that you'd like to add? Yeah. One thing I'd like to add, and this is kind of off topic a little bit, but it's something that happens often in, in my industry, is there are people out there who get these amazing offers online from these quote unquote internet lenders. And oftentimes they're just, you know, blown away by the rates and what they're offering. And if it does close, that's a bonus that I've seen because there are some loans that will actually get done at those amazing rates and those amazing deals. But I've had a lot of people come back to me and they just said that was the worst experience they've ever had or the deal fell through just because the person working the other end wasn't experienced. But, you know, it really does come down to customer service and dealing with people who know what they're doing. And, you know, I wish every, I wish every investor I had had a chance to speak with you first, Jeff, because there's a lot of people who really don't know what they're what they're doing, and I try and educate them to a point. But you know, my number one job is to to get them approved for the loan. And that's what I'm most concentrated on at the time. But yeah, that's that's something I see all too often in this industry. So make sure that you do your homework. You're dealing with someone who's got references and someone who can actually deliver on what they promise. I hear you, man. I hear you, man. Well, thanks, Chad. This has been a really nice maiden voyage, so to speak. Thanks again. You're welcome. Thank you. Listeners, thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time out. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Bald Guy Podcast with Jeff Brown and our guest, Chad Emerson.